Well, let's, let's pray together. God, I pray that as we um, enter into this text and this new study together, um, God, I pray that you would grip us with your love for us individually, but also, God, for the incredible work you're doing across the world. God, that we would be um, amazed at the enormity and the diversity of the family that you are creating for yourself. God, thanks that we get to be a part of that. God, I pray that we would have wisdom and grace as we engage in this subject, God, with all humility, um, leading to joy. And so, Lord Jesus, we, um, we ask you to speak. Um, show us who you are and show us your heart uh, for this world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this probably isn't um, a whole lot of news, right? But the world is pretty broken, right? Uh, I think we, we, we know that. We, we live in that. We experience it personally and intimately. But every now and then, there are just moments in which it comes crashing in on us in ways that are just, we, almost like we forgot, like, oh, that's, that's how bad it can be, right? And it wasn't that long ago, right? It's just 10 days ago, but many of us are still thinking through and processing all these terrible attacks in, in Paris and Beirut and Baghdad and, and elsewhere, right? As it continues to sort of rattle through in its effects across our world. And even as ISIS took credit for the attacks, I mean, they, they said, they called it a blessed attack on Crusader France, uh, further confirming the world's suspicions isn't religion the problem? Yeah, I mean, sometimes. Absolutely. And, and honestly, that's not just a slam on Muslim extremists. That's part of our own history, which isn't always pretty. Sometimes it's just frankly ugly and bloody. We have, we have to own up to that. I mean, there are, there are religions and there are distortions of religions that are shamefully disastrous. But the question we've got to wrestle with, right, and, and hopefully you're, you're sensing this and feeling this, even as, as more people say, isn't religion the problem? Is Christianity different? I mean, we're, we're still broken. We're still a mess. But should, maybe that's a better way of saying it, should Christianity be different? I mean, we, we as Christians believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Not Buddha, not Allah, not humanism. How can we hold on to such an exclusive belief? I mean, right? I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be safer to just say all religions are the same? We all kind of believe the same thing, so let's, let's just all sort of, let's get along, right? That's a tempting path, isn't it? But the reality is everybody makes exclusive belief statements. All of us. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or, or a Hindu or even a pluralist, right, who, who very well-meaning would say, yes, all religions are the same. They're, they're equal. There's, there's no, you know, they all get to the, to, the same, to the same place. And yet, even so, even that statement is a theological belief that excludes my theological beliefs, right? That pushes most of the world out as best as we try, right? Even, even the very best attempts to sort of make it all okay, ends up being guilty of the same things they're trying to avoid. Everybody makes exclusive belief claims. Everybody. You can't get away from it. You can't rid the world of it. And so are we destined to just 
keep killing each other. Yes, Christianity makes exclusive claims that Jesus is the only way. And yet I want to I contend this morning that even so, even with that exclusive statement that there is, there is no belief system more inclusive, more welcoming than ours. Yes, we've blown it along the way and we've got to own up to that. Uh, we've got to admit our mistakes and move past them, right? And learn, learn from them. And yet there is no one more open than Jesus. And I, I realize for some of you that that sounds really arrogant for me to say, and I, I, I totally get that. And hopefully as we, as we go, you'll see that part of this, if we believe that, there's actually no room for arrogance at all. I mean, it, it excludes it. Our, our belief system, there's, there's no room for judgmentalism or self-righteousness. None of that fits in what we're saying. And so if you're feeling that tension, I, I, I'm with you. I, I totally I, I get that. And yet... Is there something different about Jesus? Let me even just give a, a simple example. I, I kind of hesitate to do this a little bit because you could take it out of context or it could very easily be abused as triumphalistic or arrogant. I, I don't mean it that way at all, but I think it's a helpful example for us. Let me show a map here. Uh, this is a recent study, majority religion by country. The red is us as Christians. And again, this isn't like a, well, Look how good we're doing. Let's just take over the world while we're, while we're ahead, right? That, that's not at all what I'm saying. And yet what's so unique is if, if I were to ask you the question, what is the center of Christianity? How would you even be able to answer that question? I mean, historically, right, it has its roots in, in, in a place, but like where's its headquarters today, right? I mean, there's no, there's no possible way to answer that. And yet by this map, it's very clear. I mean, uh, Judaism is still centered in Israel, Hinduism is still centered in India, Buddhism in the Far East, Islam in North Africa, in the Middle East, even, frankly, even secular humanism, the non-religion religion, I mean, it really only has the West. Only Jesus is for everyone, everywhere. Only, only what he sets up, the, the kingdom that he is sort of breaking into our world, only the beliefs that we have are actually, truly, undeniably, historically, for everyone. And here's why. And this, this, is, this makes all the difference. This is absolutely key for us. And, and hopefully we can say this with all humility. It's because our God wants a really big family. And not just a family of people that all look the same, act the same, like the same things, dress the same way, speak the same, have the same values. No, not, not this God. Our God wants a family of all people, for all people radically diverse. And, and, I mean, the kind of family that you couldn't even possibly begin to get your mind around. This, this is what God wants, and this, this is what he's moving it towards. And a God this open, friends, he, he's not the problem. He's, he's actually the solution. And so this morning we are, as I, as I mentioned in my prayer, we're starting a new series. Um, we're calling it, calling it For All People. And this is really rooted in what we've been talking about as a church, um, together as, a, as staff and leaders, for the last couple of years, really reevaluating how do we understand God's work globally and, and our relationship here and, and what we've been entrusted with. How do we partner well with, with all people, right? Uh, seeing that God has a heart for the, the whole world. What does it look like for us? And so we've been planning and thinking through this, this sermon series for the last several months, had these texts laid out, even though for many of us, we're thinking about the world in a very different way than we were 10 days ago, right? This is a conversation we've been having together for quite some time. And this morning, 
Uh, we are going to start in the beginning of the story. Okay, Genesis, what we just heard read a moment ago. Uh, next week, we'll be at the very end of the story in Revelation, and then we'll, we'll spend our time in Advent, right at the center of the story in the Gospel of Matthew. And that'll carry us on in, into the new year. And, and what we're really trying to do, beginning of the story, end of the story, in the very center of the story, is, is to just help us realize, to see very clearly, that this isn't this all-people thing. It's not like an add-on to God's plan. It's not like something we can sort of pick and choose and, and maybe. It, this is core of who he is from the very beginning to the very end. This is a God who wants a really big family from all people for all people. And it's, it's unmistakable. And so today, in the beginning of the story, as we look at Abraham, we're going to see three things. And th- these three things, they ought to humble us to the depths Removing all arrogance and violence or judgmentalism, while at the same time raising us to the heights, giving us dignity and an ability to, to really truly love, even to the point of self sacrifice. Three things God calls the unlikely, God promises the extraordinary, and God wants a really big family. So first, God, God calls the unlikely. And I, I love this, right? And this isn't just in Genesis. This is like, if you, if you read your Bible, you'll see this over and over and over again. It's always the people you don't expect, right? It's, it's never the ones who have it all together, right? Who, who own, you know, they've got it figured out. It's always the, frankly, like rejects and the unwanted, the outcasts. I mean, those are the people that so often take center stage in this book. It's anyone and everyone Ultimately, because it's not about us, it's about him. It's his story that he's telling. And he's going to tell it in a way in which he gets the most glory. Which means there just can't be any arrogance at all in what we believe. I mean, even just think about the context of where we're at. So Genesis chapter 12. If you got a Bible, uh, look, look there. The, the words will be up on the screen as well. Uh, but Genesis, I mean, this is the first book of the Bible, chapter 12. So we're still like, you can see, okay, in the very beginning pages of Scripture. And already by this point, 12 chapters in, it's pretty clear that there is no one more unlikely than humanity, frankly, right? Just as a species. I mean, that, that God sticks with us. I mean, it's unthinkable. I mean, if, if you're familiar with what happens, I mean, chapters 1 through 11 are a mess, I mean, it's absolute chaos and pain and disaster and rebellion over and over and over again. And then, frankly, there's, there's way more mystery than clarity surrounding these events, right? And, the, and even the, the timing of these events. But it's clear that it's, it's ugly. I mean, it starts great, you know, the garden. Adam and Eve, right? Perfect place and harmony with God and everybody gets along. Uh, until Adam and Eve rebel, right? They declare war again on God, essentially, and everything falls apart. Everything, right? Every relationship and even creation itself is distorted. I mean, so much so that human number three, right? Their oldest son kills his little brother. And the third human, right, kills the fourth one. This, this, is, this is humanity off to a winning start, right? And frankly, this is, I mean, it's a picture of what, of what we're already becoming by the second generation, Right? So much so, right? The, the years go by, the generations continue, the, the world gets bigger. Frankly, I mean, God takes them all again, doesn't he? The, the flood, he starts over. He begins again with this other family called Noah and, and his descendants. But the same thing happens. 
They get bigger. The years go by. Things go downhill. And they build this ridiculous tower called Babel as their own sort of attempt to overthrow God. This is where this story sort of emerges. It feels as if God has lost all control. Humans are just the worst, right? And it's, it's amazing he's not done. That's sort of what you expect when you read these 11 chapters. Like there's another flood or something coming to destroy it all. And yet, when we get to chapter 12, he himself shows up. And he's been there along the way. And yet in chapter 12, he begins, he begins to reveal something new. Plans to actually end this disastrous cycle that we humans are on of self-destruction and the destruction of others and this re- rebellion, rebellion against God. A plan that he's had from the very beginning. So even, even as we set the context here, it's a long time ago, Abraham. Um, imagine the world 4,000 years ago, best as you can. Okay, it's about 2,000 BC, give or take. That's when Abraham lived. These things actually happened on planet Earth. Um, really just showing this to remind us. We sometimes think when we read the Bible, it happened in like fairy world someplace else. But this, this is tied to reality, to our place. This, so Ur, that's where the this, this story begins. It's 186 miles southeast of Baghdad in modern-day Iraq. Here, here are the ruins of Ur from the same time period as Abraham, which is pretty amazing. So this is like... This is Abraham's Ur. This is where he was. It was a city of, of, great, of great prominence. And if you're unfamiliar with Abraham, you'll, you'll kind of, I think, put the pieces together as we go. But essentially, he's considered uh, the father of the Jewish people uh, who, who takes center stage in the Old Testament, that God's redemptive plan works out and flows through them, that we as Christians who aren't Jewish, are, are, or many of us aren't Jewish, are, are grafted into this, into this new family that God has. But it begins... It begins with Abraham, and it begins with this unlikely call and this extraordinary promise. So they're in Ur, okay, long time ago, uh, but they leave. The whole family does. They make the 677-mile walk, according to Google. It's 219 hours. Um, it's kind of amazing that Google knows that, right? Um, what don't they know? Uh, but make the walk up to uh, Haran in, in Turkey. He and his entire family and their, their clan, their tribe, they all resettle in that place. This is where the story uh, really gets, gets a little bit more interesting. Because not only does God begin with unlikely humanity, that's us, he even begins with a pair of pretty unlikely humans, Abram and Sarai. Later on, their names are changed to Abraham and Sarah. I'll probably use them interchangeably, right? But it starts off Abram and Sarai. And they're, they're unlikely, right? They're not the ones you'd expect, especially, okay, so, Chapter 11, verse 30, Let's, the author doesn't want us to miss how unlikely they are. He tells us twice, okay, in case we miss it the first time. Chapter 11, verse 30, he says, Now Sarai was barren. She had no child, like in case you missed the first one, right? And not, not to mention the fact that at this point they're in their 70s. And so, I mean, we just think about how, frankly, ridiculous this is. That God wants to start a new family, a big family for all people. And he begins with a couple who can't even have children. And in fact, it's even more ridiculous than that because like the, the first three generations of this family all suffer the same thing with Rachel and Rebecca. The three of them, none of them originally could have, could have kids. I mean, God, God likes doing, incre- he likes surprising people, right? He, he, he loves the underdog, essentially. And he picks this unlikely couple. 
And this is, this is how, if you're a person of faith, this is essentially how it begins. Like if you're, if you're a Christian, this is kind of our, our story. I mean, not exactly the same, right? God doesn't maybe show up and say, go that way. Um, and, and yet, you're not, a, you're not a follower of Jesus because you are the best choice. Um, you aren't even the likely choice, right? You're simply his because he called you. And because he called me. And all the mystery, right, of, of free will and God's sovereignty and how all that, that works together. But God is always the one who moves first. And he loves going after the unlikely people. Which means, I mean, if that's us, there's, there's just no arrogance left in this story. There's no room to be judgmental or, or self-righteous, right? Um, we don't come to the world with it all figured out as if we're God's favorites. It's not we who save the world. It's God who calls. It's not, it's not we who are better. God is the one who chooses. We come with humility. I mean, fundamental to this story, we come with humility or we just don't come at all. Because if, if we don't come, hum, I mean, that's what it takes, right? That's, that's, it, it, all of us here, I mean, the one thing every one of us has in common as Christians is that we've acknowledged to the God of the universe that we just don't have what it takes to make it, that we're so sinful that we need him to rescue us. We need his salvation. We can't do it on our own. I mean, it begins in that place of humility for all of us, if you're a Christian, of saying, God, I'm a mess. Would you rescue me? Would you heal me? Would you make, would you make me whole? We come with humility or we don't come at all. But it's not just the call. Right? If that's all God does is, is call us or call them, I mean, it's, it's drudgery, it's fear, it's unknown, right? It's, it's more than that. The, the call without the promise is drudgery. But God promises the extraordinary. You've got you've to check out these promises. Because uh, even if you think about the story, right, with Adam and Eve come curses on all of humanity, right, because of their rebellion. But now with Abraham and Sarah come blessing also for all of humanity. So, verse 2, I mean, God says go, Right? And then verse 2, he continues, I will make you, let's see here, uh, I will make you, make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So here's what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to take you old, unheard of, and unable to have kids. Nobody's. And I'm going to make you into a nation with blessings and greatness. And those who are good to you, I'll be good to you. And those who abuse you, I will judge. You see, God's plan, his mission, it's always rooted in his promise. And when God promises, when he says he's going to do something, all that's left is for him to, to do it, to fulfill it, that he will come come good come he will fulfill whatever english it's hard um, and again it's important for us to like god is talking to the israelites this is the start of the israelite people and the and all the the focus of the old testament all that rooted on them but it's never just about them and it's, it's easy to forget that when we read these promises or even when we read the old testament that it's just sort of way out there or we just jump and say it's all about us and yet what's happening here what paul picks up on in the new testament he makes it explicit. 
that those who have the same faith that Abraham had, faith in the greatest Israelite, are grafted into the same family. That we get to join in, in in all of this. I mean, even just to stop and think for a second, that this promise, 4,000 years old, made to people whose bloodline, DNA, history, physically, we have nothing to do with. And yet these promises are, are for us, about us, that we're, brought, we're part of this blessing. That God had you and me in mind 4,000 years ago when he said these words to Abraham. Which, that's true. 4,000 years later, not only should that remove our arrogance, but it also should remove any sense of fear or despair. Which is a pretty tall order, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but when I look at the, when I look at the world, like I see the, the glass half empty. Honestly, like that's, that'd be a good day, wouldn't it? Um, it's bleak. And maybe, maybe as you look at poverty or despair, war or terrorism, the, the hatred, the continuing battle between everybody, it's just so, it's so overwhelming. And I, I, I get very fatalistic um, and very despairing in those moments. Or, or even, even just to think about other people entering into this family. I mean, whether we're talking about global, you know, everyone, everywhere, just frankly even your neighbors, the, the people that you've been praying for and, and, and your family. And then you extend it you know, to all people joining into this, this family. You think about the barriers, the, the money that it costs, the geographical barriers, the political barriers, the language barriers, all these things. And it's so easy to just, just throw in the towel, frankly. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to use us, and I certainly wouldn't say it's going to be easy. But what I so quickly forget is that God already has a plan for all of this. All of it. And not, nothing's surprising him, right? He's not caught off guard or like, oh boy, what am I going to do? The world's... He knows. And he, in all the mystery that it is, and as much as we'd love for him to intervene maybe in some more specific ways, we as his people, we trust that he, he's got this, whatever this is for us. And so even as we think about this, right? And I love, I love that God says um, over and over in these, this promise, four times, right? I will, I will, I will, I will do this, says the Lord. Kind of reminds me a little bit of what Jesus says in Matthew 16, right? Um, what God says to, to Abraham, Jesus says to us, his, his disciples, he says, I will build my church, my family, my people. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, we're certainly not Pollyanna when we look at the world. It's ugly and it's brutal, and we're going to be realistic about that. And yet, we're not going to despair either. We're not going to wallow in hopelessness as if all is lost, right? God wants a really big family from all people, for all people. And God gets what he wants, which leads us to the last and really the most important thing here as we process this, really kind of the summary, the application of, of what this promise, this ancient promise actually means for us all the way over here 
uh, today for this really big, blended, diverse family. And this is what's so key. Um, this is what our world needs. This is why God did this for Abraham, for, for Israel, and eventually for, for us. I mean, he tells us why, doesn't he? Let me, let me read it again. I will make of you a great nation. Again, he's talking to, to Israel there, to, to the Israelites, to Abraham. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The reason we've been called, rescued, blessed, is to be a blessing. I mean, if you're ever wondering, like, why, why we who believe are still here, right? Why God didn't just sort of, like, star trek us up to heaven and, and be done with it. Why are we, it's, be, it's to be a gift to the world. To, to be a real, true blessing to everyone, everywhere. And that's even that, that language that, that God uses, all families, all means all. That's, that's all people groups, he's saying. All, every tribe and, and language, every, every ideology and you know, political or, or everything, all, right? Every, every setback, every person, all the unlikelies, every nationality, every skin color, all means all. Blessing. And this is the part where I, I start to like really doubt God's promise, right? It's like, look around, okay? It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of blessing going on. And it's easy, it's easy, to, like how could this possible, how could Abram 4,000 years ago continue to be a blessing to planet Earth today? Let me show you. I think Paul tells us, tells us a lot of places, but Galatians 3 is my favorite. Paul says, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Gentiles, that's us, right? Not any non-Jewish person. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Did you hear what? God calls, but Paul calls this promise of God's in there. I mean, I, I've read this passage plenty of times and, and studied it, and I don't think I've ever really noticed it in this context of putting Genesis 12 together. What God, what God says there in his word is that this promise, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before Jesus was gospel, that God himself preached the good news to Abraham when he said, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That ultimately what Paul is saying here is that this promise, it's about, it's about Jesus. That he, he is the blessing. He's the, the center. He is the focus. He is all of it for us. I mean, even, even our first sermon when we get to Matthew uh, in this, this series, it's going to be in the genealogy, right? Matthew chapter 1, it's the, the one we, like you pick up, you want to read the Christmas story, and you see that, and you like quickly turn the page, right? That's where we're going to start in a couple weeks in, in Matthew. Uh, but it starts with Abraham, right? Because for Matthew, this is a big deal. Matthew wants to make it very clear that Jesus has come from Abraham's family, from David's family. It gives him the right to be king of all things, of all, of all the world. That Even the way Matthew tells the Christmas story, a little bit different than, than Luke does, shows that Jesus is meant to be king. There's, there's, no other, there's no other option for him. 
That when he comes, he comes to rule. And even though we missed him, he is coming again and he, he will rule. He will make all things right. And through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Because I don't know if you caught this yet, but God wants a really big family. And he's going to use us to be a part of that. Another humbling truth. That, that even, even for Abraham, right? He had to go. Like God just didn't make the promise and then Abraham just sat down and, well, let's, let's see what happens, right? Abraham had to leave. He had to, he had to move forward. For him, there was a necessary step of faith, a sign of, of his belief. Faith leads to action. And for us, if we're going to be this blessing to this broken world through Jesus, we've got a lot of work to do. And let me mention just three things quickly. First of all, I say quickly, but you all really know what that means, right? <laughs> I'm in no hurry. Three things. First, first you've got to join his family. It's the most obvious, right? If God wants a really big family of all people, that includes you, right? You're part of that. You're one of the ones. If you're not a part of this, if you haven't given your life to Christ through faith, then you're, you're outside this family and God is pursuing you. I think that's why you're here this morning. Whether, whether you acknowledge that or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you even believe in God or not, I, I believe that's why you're here. That God is he's chasing you down and he wants you to be in his family. He wants you to, to commit to him in, in faith. And that faith is not merely an intellectual set of like beliefs, right? You just check it off the list and, and, and you're good. Faith always necessitates action, always moves us to something more, to, to, life, to life change. When we enter this promise, we give our lives to this God whose name is Jesus. And we follow him. And for those of you who have done that, who have entered into the story, have you ever stop and just recognize the miracle it is that 4,000 years later, this promise to Abraham all the way over there is being fulfilled in your life? I mean, even, even just the fact that, that Jesus, right, the message of Jesus 2,000 years ago, all the way over in that little place has spread to us, to, to people who live in a nation that they hadn't even imagined at this point, that live on a continent that hadn't even been discovered. That you and I, I mean, frankly, we are, we're some of the newest people to this story. We are outsiders. We're the, we're the ones who don't belong. And yet we've been welcomed in. So join, join his family. Second, love his family. Which means loving all kinds of people. Not just the people who are like us. Not, not just the ones who are easiest to love, right? Even if you don't know them, like you just gravitate. We, we, we like people who are like us. It's easier. But this family has lots of surprises in store for us. And I even think about the early church, and I, you know, I mention this often because for me it is one of the most compelling reasons I believe that the gospel is true. Um, why I keep, I keep holding on to this is that the first century church, it was the first time in the history of planet Earth, I mean, seriously, that people of all backgrounds actually got together, hung out, ate meals together, worshiped together, loved one another, sacrificed, never before. Had people done that? You just didn't, you stayed with your family and your tribe and your, your clan and your religion and, and all of a sudden in the church you've got Jewish people and Gentile people who couldn't stand each other but they, they worshipped each other. You got slaves with their masters and you got rich people and poor people and all of a sudden they begin sharing with one another and loving one another. Never, 
Never before in the history of the world has something like that happened. But they knew that they were family now. That Jesus changes everything. But you don't have to travel across the globe to love the globe, right? We just know that now. The whole world is moving to Kansas City. Do we celebrate that? Do we, do we see it for the opportunity it is? And with every immigrant or refugee, what an opportunity to love, to serve, to share the good news of what Jesus has done, to rejoice with all the nations. I mean, you don't have to go on a missions trip anymore to, to meet people who are different from you, who who wouldn't hear about Jesus and and know him otherwise. The whole world is here. And I realize some of you are, probably more than some, right? It's kind of the elephant in the room. Anytime you start talking about stuff like this, particularly these last few days, well, what what about the Syrian refugees? How do we we process that and the mess that that is? And I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure I can remember anything so quickly causing so much anger and, like, fighting across all people, right? It's just everybody is sort of, sort of confused and angry and despairing all at the same time. At least, at least I am. And it's understandable that we're afraid. Um, I'm always challenged by Paul Tripp's words. It's kind of his definition of fear. Fear is always God-forgetful. Always. That, that any action, whatever the right action is, but any action that's primarily motivated by fear or self-preservation, it doesn't belong in the kingdom that God is building. If, if those are the, the primary, primary motivations, we've got we've to watch it. As, as one of our ministry partners put it, and I really hate this uh, as a parent, but I'm going to say it anyway, and you can thank me later. Um, but one of our partners said, if you want your kids to love safety, don't let them read the Bible. Because it's not what they're going to learn there. It's all about risk. Sacrifice. It's all about doing really unthinkable things. Things that frankly just don't make sense. Apart from a God who's bigger. A God who is, who is truly sovereign over all things. And so yes, I mean I know it's complex. And yes, we've got to respond with, with prudence and wisdom. I'm not, I'm not minimizing any of that. But we also have to respond with courageous compassion and sacrificial neighborly love because that's just who we are now. There's no other definition for Christians than people who, because, of, because we serve and worship a God who gives himself away so sacrificially on the cross, and that God now lives within us, all we, all we have left is to give ourselves away, to be willing to do so, even, even with pain, even with fear. Yes, with prudence and wisdom. But Jesus is our first priority. And really, you don't have to look even in that heart of places or, or look that far from home, right, kids? I mean, who are the people in your school that are, that are just different from you? Or the people in our, our neighborhoods, right, who live on our streets that, that are there, right? How do, you, how do you process? What about people who look the same as you but just see the world very, very differently than you do? Those are exactly the kinds of people God wants in this family. I mean, even even the way we think about the world or talk about it, 
to not just focus on us and ours, but realize that there is family or potential family everywhere. And, and again, I, I love this country. I love the safety and the, the freedom and the blessings that I have. I, I'm so thankful for the people who serve and who protect and, and all. I'm so grateful. But this place isn't my home. It's, it's not my primary loyalty. It's not where my ultimate allegiance lies. It, can, it just it can't be. I'm, I'm a citizen of another kingdom, a kingdom that's, that's not here yet but is breaking in, that is defined not by... Not by Cultural boundaries or expectations, is not, it's not defined by, by geography or borders, but by a God who has come and who will come again and he will make it all right and he will do so for all people and that we, aren't you amazed that we're in this family and that we will see this happen? You and I will live as witnesses of the new creation when all is made as it, as it originally should have been from the beginning before we broke it all and fell apart but that's 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 our name that's our that's our family and so to even just pause and and remember i mean i i as a a follower of jesus here um, i have more in common with the believer who lives in beijing or iraq or rwanda than i do with the non-believer who lives next door do you believe that? Because we don't, we don't hang out, right? And we wouldn't ever pick to hang out. Not, 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 yeah, I don't mean that in a bad, we just wouldn't, right? We don't speak the same language, we don't dress the same, we probably don't like the same food, listen to the same, I mean, nothing in common, and yet everything has changed, right? Because we see the world through completely different lens. We have different hopes and dreams for our families and for, for what God is going to do with the reality. We, we understand work and life and family and money and all of it differently because Jesus just changes everything. There's no way around it. Everything, everything changes. And together with all people who call upon Jesus to recognize, I mean, what if we all recognize that part of the very definition of who we are is to be a blessing? for others. That's this family. Do you love it? And finally, grow, grow his families. Join it, love it, and grow it. And I, I can think of no or a, a few greater motivations to share your faith with someone who doesn't believe or to engage in what God is doing missionally across our city or across our world, whether it's giving time or money or, or prayers or, or any of that, really few greater motivations than this, that God already promises to do this. Right? It's, not like, it's not like we're trying to ask God to come in and would you do something better with this place, with this world, with these people. God is, I mean, we're joining him. He's been doing this from the very beginning. This is core of who he is and that we get to partner with him. And so, I mean, who are you telling about Jesus? I mean, who are those people in your life that you're willing to share with and, and even just to let them in, not in an obnoxious, arrogant, judgmental way, right? Not if we truly understand who Jesus is, but in a way that is actually a blessing to them. I mean, do the people in your life who are close to you, do they know that Jesus is your king? That he's redefined your reality and your understanding of everything that's, that's normal, right? Or even as we think about the work we get to do as a church, and one of the things I love about Christ's community is, is the ways that we are continually seeking to, to better partner globally with what God is doing. 
And this is part of why, as I mentioned, we're doing this series. We spent this time sort of reevaluating how do we do this? How do we be more effective? How do we help us, even as a congregation, be more mindful of what God is doing? What God is frankly doing through, through your resources as you give them to this church and the ways that we are engaged and the incredible partnerships that we have. Uh, and to help us here, I just want to pause for, for a second and uh, have Kim Johnson come join me up here. Kim's a part, been a part of Christ Community for a couple of years. Um, and she, she's a member of our global leadership team, which is a team that uh, serves across all of our campuses, um, helping to determine what and how we're, we're doing this work. Um, and then she's also uh, leads our, our global partner team, which is campus-specific. Um, so she leads that here with us. It's a new team trying to just figure out how do we do this better? How do we connect better globally? How do we understand more? And how do we, frankly, just be more effective um, in doing this work that God calls us to? There's other members of the team, just so you can see. Um, you can track down some of those folks if you want more information. But uh, Kim, you, you've been serving in this capacity for a while now. What, uh, just tell us about the team a little bit, what, what you're doing with them. Sure. So the global partner team, our goal really is to help the Olathe campus really build a culture that engages and equips um, and encourages us to really partner with uh, global missions. Um, so one big way that we're doing that is we have a global partner um, that we're, we're partnering with. I keep saying partner. Um, <laughs> um, say it a lot. Um, and so really what the, the goal of that relationship is to, to have a mutual partnership um, where we can learn and grow from them and they can learn and grow from us and together we can grow more deeply in our relationship with the Lord. That's great. That's great. Well, how did you, there's a lot of things to do. You're, you're busy. Um, it's, this is, it takes quite a bit of your time. Why did you decide uh, to invest in this? Sure. So um, I was asked if I was interested in, in finding out more about what Christ Community as a whole, as uh, five campuses does, um, on global missions. And so I was really intrigued by that. I had done missional work in the U.S. Um, before and had always had aspirations to kind of extend that globally. Uh, so I had coffee with Jeanette Thomas, who is our uh, pastor of Extension Ministries, who's leading this entire effort. Mm -hmm. um, and she really kind of shared with me the strategy work that had been done and really kind of um, where we're going uh, with this. And I was really blown away by the thoughtfulness and, and the, really the focus on this partnership type of aspect um, and how we're not only just giving monetary support or one-time relief efforts, that we're really um, focusing on, on building these relationships and, and growing together. Well, why, I mean, for all of us here, you know, we're, we're busy, we're, we've got a lot on our minds close by. Um, why should we get excited about this work as well when it's so far away? Sure. Um, so I think the, the sermon series that we just had on neighborly love, a lot of us are looking for ways to how to care for and, and um, reach out to the, the vulnerable uh, so I think this global partnership, um, specifically with our partner that we have in Uranda, um, it's the Shared Diocese, this gives us the opportunity to really live out that call. Um, so I think it's just a great opportunity for us to learn how they're reaching out to the vulnerable um, in their area and how we can continue to do that, partner with them doing that, and then also do that here locally as well. That's great. That's great. Well, what's... What's next uh, for us? And even just so you're aware, I mean, we've got these weeks together in this series. We'll hopefully be communicating more, even just more about uh, this partnership. And so this is kind of the very beginning of a conversation. Um, but what are some of the next steps and how, even in, in this initial stage, can we as a congregation be, be praying in this process? 
Sure, so um, as I said, our partner is the Shear Diocese in Uwanda. Uh, we're, as a campus, as our team, is really um, in the initial stages of building that relationship with them. Um, Christ Community as a whole has been giving to them, um, giving to their ministries for several years now, and some of our members um, from our campus and Leewood's campus have traveled there in the past. Um, but really, for us, it's just um, starting that relationship. So uh, we just ask that you pray for the members of our team, for the leaders of the Shira Diocese, um, that, that we would uh, form that relationship um, and be able to learn um, how to best partner with each other and how to best meet each other's needs. Um, so that's kind of our ask for right now. Um, we're going to be coming to you more um, in the next couple of weeks with information about what their ministries are, what they do um, there, and then also kind of a little bit about the history of Yawanda and kind of where they're at currently um, that's great. as well. That's great. Well, again, uh, find Kim afterwards or any of these people to, to talk more, and hopefully we'll get more um, along the way. Kim, thanks so much for, for serving and just for being willing to share this three times uh, today. So it's great. Um, well, let me just even tell you one of the things I'm so excited about with this, this new, both the team as well as just a renewed global focus. Um, a couple of things. First of all, and probably, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited to think about uh, my kids, because I'm a dad first, right? Um, and my kids are a part of this church. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about the idea of my kids, and all of us really, but my kids, um, when they see somebody who's different from them, instead of feeling uh, resistance or fear or just even discomfort, there'd be joy. Um, that, that, that it would be a, a glimpse, that it would be part of, part of who we are to, to think this is part of what God's family is going to look like all people from all places gathered together and to celebrate that. And so that, that's one of the things I'm hoping for. I'm also just hoping for more effective work as we think about what God has entrusted with us here uh, in this part of the world, how we can contribute and partner with uh, some other incredible organizations who are doing similar work uh, in very, very, very different places. Well, God wants a really big family. And that's, that's what the world needs. Not arrogance, not judgmentalism, not triumphalism or uniformity. Um, but what if... I mean, what if there really was one worldview that existed for the good of all the others? Like one, one people, right? One way of viewing the world, one faith, one religion, whatever it was, that actually part of their, their DNA, part of the very center of who they are, are is, is for the good of, of others. That sacrifices. That, that loves unconditionally, even, even in, in really difficult ways. What if that was true of any people? The difference that that would make. Because, friends, here's how bad God wants his family. Jesus came here. He, he entered into a world of hostility, right, where everything was broken. He left the, the very riches and, and glory of heaven to come and to be human alongside us and to suffer and die for us so that he could establish this new thing so that he can make it possible, that we can enter into a life where there's forgiveness and hope and wholeness and belief that he is actually going to make all things new. That's the extent to which he has come. He dies for his enemies. He loves those who would reject him. And it cost him everything. Yet I'm so glad he did. Because I don't, I don't belong in this family. I mean, you and I, for the most part, we are a largely Gentile congregation, Right? We have no business in this family. 
None. I mean, we're the ultimate outsider, right? We, we're, we're foreigners. We're imposters, right? We do not belong. And yet Jesus throws the doors wide open and embraces us as we come into him through faith. He calls. Our God calls the unlikely, and I'm one of them. And now we get to do the same. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us. God, with with wisdom and uh, humility to be able to step forward as your people, united with believers everywhere for the good of all and ultimately for the glory of your great name and this kingdom that you will build. God, give us hope in that. And God, because, because we believe that that's true, because, because of Jesus, we believe that we have nothing left to fear or hide or, or try to even gain, that all of it has been given to us. God, I pray that we would always lean first with compassion rather than self-protection. God, with, with courage and faith rather than fearfulness. And God, rather than despair or hopelessness, to God, that we would see every everything, every challenge, every moment as an opportunity to see you do what you've already promised to do. We don't know how you're going to do it. We're pretty sure it's not going to be easy. But we trust you because you are our king.